Welcome to the Work in Progress podcast, brought to you by Work Nicer. Hosted by Gabe Kane and Alex Pudisi, this show is all about telling people's amazing stories. We think. As the title says, it's still a work in progress. This episode features guest Andrew Obrecht, co-founder of YYC and YEG Cycle. All right, welcome to episode two of the Work in Progress podcast. Uh, as the title states, this is a work in progress. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm the founder of WorkNacer Coworking. Uh, my co-host here, Gabe Kane. What's up? And uh, and our guest this week is Andrew from YYC and YEG Cycle. Um, we don't exactly know what we're doing with this podcast, hence the name. Uh, we're figuring it out as we go. Uh, but we are gonna so we're gonna hit some bumps along the way. Uh, but we do know that we're gonna have some fun. Great conversations and go from there. Yeah, cool. So, people who are not familiar with who you are, Andrew, you want to give us just like, you know, give us your this is who I am in a minute or two. Yeah, for sure. And I guess we're episode two, so you have a long track record of uh, of doing this perfectly. So, yeah, I, I feel like I'm in good hands. We got to nail down at this uh, point. Yeah, thanks for having me on. My name is Andrew Obrecht. I'm uh, one of the co founders of YYC Cycle and YEG Cycle. And I'm also uh, one of the co founders of Culinary Coworking. And uh, over the last seven and a half years, uh, my business partner and I, Grady Topak, uh, we've been building community and creating impact through. Uh, through our spin studios, we've got uh, soon to be five studios between Calgary and Edmonton, and uh, excited to be on the other side of the pandemic. Yeah, we okay. hope, right? Yeah. So we're told. Yeah, so right. we're told. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see. Until they're like, just kidding. Super <laughs> mega Bravo Delta. Yeah, I've, yeah. Heard, exactly. of I've heard of that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Andrew, you've been on a bunch of panels, a bunch of podcasts. You're kind of a big deal, so. Let's start and talk. Uh, let's try to not talk about all the same stuff that you've talked about previously. Maybe we could kind of, if anybody needs a ton of that basic background information, Google him. He'll show up. Um, would love to, and doesn't mean that we're not going to talk about some of that stuff, but I'd love to talk about kind of like what uh, the next layer of stuff. And, and as much as everybody is kind of sick, maybe, of talking about the pandemic, uh, your industry in particular is uniquely affected and so i do think we can talk about some of the struggles uh that has went either through that but also um you know at least in my opinion i think entrepreneurship is this just constant book of struggles and this was just the next chapter and so i think we can dive into some of that stuff too and not be too covid heavy does that sound okay totally i'm I'm also curious you know where where your sites are locked on now you know where you're going what what you're looking at for the future yeah, I mean, happy to answer any kind of strategic approaches to to COVID and and that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm I'm not a big deal. Thank you very much, though, for saying that. Uh, you know, I I'd like to say that it's the community that I surround myself that uh, allows me to do what I love. Um, but yeah, I think that specifically when you talk about the sites set, um, you know, I always think that the problem isn't the problem; it's your reaction to the problem. And uh, we certainly had a big one this past fifteen months. Uh, I don't think I'll properly uh, deal with the trauma of the last 15 months just yet. I think leaving this, uh, it's just an overwhelming sense of gratitude for getting to the other side of this and, and being able to be back with the community and the, and the people that I love uh, in those studios. But setting sights, I mean, we, we do have a goal still of having you know studios across Canada and having 15 studios in 10 years. We're seven and a half years old. 
certainly a bump along the road this past year, but we're we're now looking to to kind of double down and uh, move forward. So we're actively looking at opportunities for for other markets and other studios and and mm-hmm. so i think i think after this it's an interesting dichotomy that happened over the last year that this was a health and wellness uh you know pandemic and the fitness industry was virtually shut down we were 10 months with empty studios locked doors and so on the other side of this i think though there there's going to be a hyper demand on health and wellness uh and we want to be there for it not only on the physical standpoint but mental health as well so as far as actually just like, you know, staying alive during those 10 months when your studios are completely shut down. So do you guys operate, and I should know this, so forgive me, but do you guys operate on like a, a, like a monthly subscription, kind of your general one, or is it more a punch card? Like, did you have, so my question is, did you have members who stuck around despite you guys being shut down, kind of keep you afloat or, or, or did you lose everybody? Yeah, I mean, we didn't lose everybody in the sense that that our community was still very strong, and we had a lot of support uh, of our riders wanting to come back, and our you know our community internally as far as our team wanted to come back and excited to come back. But the taps turned off, right? Revenue totally stopped. I think certainly we leveraged uh, subsidies and we tried to do some sales and so on. Uh, we decided not to do online classes uh for a few reasons and we can dive a little bit more into that if we want but uh ultimately we preach and it's on our walls that we're not in the business of spin classes so therefore when everybody was pivoting and going online and trying to do the online thing um we just really focused on community and how we could you know leverage and support our internal community to make sure that our team of 175 uh people and growing now was uh was supported and then also the biker gain that they they knew that we were there for them as well. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. No, I just I'm just curious. I so so I'm a fitness guy and I you know I'm 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 into CrossFit and our you know obviously my CrossFit gym went through the same thing that you did. And um and that whole community suffered quite a bit. But uh, you know and they tried to do for us they tried to do the online thing. Well, they did it. I never did it. How about that? I never went one time. You know, I never logged in a single time. I just kind of worked out on my own. Online. But for me, I wanted to see that place around, you know, when this, when this thing ended, right? I wanted to see it back. So I just kind of kept paying the whole time. So I just wondered, I was just curious more than anything, how many, if I was an anomaly in that or if that, you know, others did the same or not. Um, I was just curious. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we'll, we'll have the monthly unlimited passes and memberships and that kind of stuff. For us, we decided to pause everything. You know, uh, we didn't provide any kind of online services or anything like that. Certainly, there were opportunities for the community to support us as far as, you know, launching new merchandise and that kind of thing. But I think really for us, it was a matter of figuring out how we were going to get through it and not changing the total business model, right? Because we've been open seven and a half years. So one year, even one year, even though it felt like five years, even one year going through this is a small percentage of our overall business. And so to change our direction and our model. Uh, certainly we've, we've had some realizations and realigned in certain things and, and the pandemic has taught us a bunch of stuff. We still truly believe in the long-term approach of our business and that, uh, you know, people and humans really need that physical connection, that community, and to be a part of something bigger than themselves. That's not just across a screen. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. I, you know, a friend of mine was talking about, he's like, you know, he used he would dabble with CrossFit a little bit and, and he's like, ah, you know, I think, 
he's like, I'm going to throw some money into Peloton. I think Peloton's going to blow up and, and do amazing. I'm probably just going to keep working out from home. And I'm looking at him like, really? You're, you know, <laughs> do you really think you're going to hit your goals at home? You know, because I'll tell you, I don't know about you, but um, the number of times I've laid down, unable to move for four minutes in a pool of sweat at home by myself is a total of zero times. I've never done that, you know, but when I'm surrounded with others, it seems like I just get egged on and, you know, go way beyond my, <laughs> my natural abilities, but totally. Yeah. I think, I think part of that too, and I should have added that, you know, we did, we did decide to rent out some of our bikes and, and, uh, you know, we have a fleet of 250 bikes that were sitting in our studio. So we were able to rent them out, um, which did add some cash flow, uh, not enough to <laughs> alleviate the millions of millions of dollars that we, uh, lost over this. But, um, that being said, we didn't provide the online platform. Now, you know, choose what you can be the best in the world at, right? When you look at that business model, Peloton is doing really well. You know, they have Hollywood style audio visual. Um, they do really well as far as like gamification and behavioral economics and human behavior and, and that kind of stuff, which success leaves clues. So we learned some stuff from them as well, but it's the overwhelming response from people that either purchased Pelotons or got them was that it's just not the same. And there's still a space in their life, uh, either to come back to fully or partly to the community that we have. Totally. And to your point though, it's, you know, it's interesting conversations that you have with people that say, you know, they had a, they're like, ah, it's great. They have a 20, 20 minute class and it's amazing. I can just go do that for 20 minutes. And it's partly is saying, you know, okay, what are the long-term results that you want? Not only physically, but mentally. And I think that in 20 minutes, you can do a lot mentally uplifting your mood. But do you, the, the whole process of going to the studio, committing to the 50 minute class or the 45 minute class it really does push you, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. It might be really exciting to take a 20 minute class because it gives you that little bit of a rush, but is, is that truly, uh, you know, elevating yourself to that next level that you're trying to get after? Kind of mm. thing. So actually let's talk about that for a second. If you, if you don't mind, I mean, it We've talked pandemic. Now we talk, you know, community and the, you know the importance of being around people when you work out. But now you're touching on something that I think is incredibly important, and that's just like the whole well-being, you know, of exercise and what that does to us as humans and community and and all those things, right? And and the commitment side and doing hard things and and all that. So I'm just curious from your perspective, what do you think some of the ramifications might be long-term from people going a year without this sort of community and fitness? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think I'm educated to properly talk about all the, uh, uh, you know, all of the things that can happen and as far as impacts on a medical standpoint, but I truly believe that it's going to have a significant impact. You know, like I talked to you about me putting on 20 pounds over the last 15 months and this is my career you know i'm i'm in the quote unquote uh i'm in the community business but you know it, let's say that it revolves around our spin studios so that being said you know you think that i should be someone that that shouldn't happen to but i rely on the community just as much as the people that are riding in our studios so that being said, I think that, that leading with vulnerability and openness and, and understanding that everybody's coming back in a different standpoint, we have people coming in our studios right now that are tentative or nervous or, you know, that they also gain weight or went through some roller coasters over the last month. 
but we were truly, you know, one of our a big thing that happened over the pandemic is really narrowing down on our purpose. And that's to create a safe and inclusive fitness experience for everybody. And so I think that we really have an opportunity on the other side to, to go after that. Um, that was a long winded answer in a different way, but you know, I, I just think that we have yet to see the full impact on a, uh, physiological level as well as psychological level of what the pandemic's done. And I think that communities are going to be a path out of it. And I say communities in the sense, not just fitness communities, but you know, whether or not people, if, if it's their church or if it's their book club, or if it's, uh, uh, you know, a pottery class that they do with other people, I think communities and coming back together and that mutual experience of going through what we went through is going to get us out of it. And I don't think, again, that's something that, that the zooms of the world and, and perhaps Pelotons can, can satisfy fully. Sure. Sure. I've had this, um, it was, a, I've had this thing on my mind for a little while. You know, thinking about fitness as people, you know, dropped off fitness over the last year and a half and trying to pick it back up. It's just really, you know, if I were to able to zoom out and look at it from a macro, like bell curve perspective, you know, because there's uh, this physician, he's a doctor and he does a lot of research on, uh, on water actually and, and additives there. And, and he was talking about some studies and some additives in water and how that affected, uh, how that affected um, IQs. And one of those studies was actually done here in Canada and another one in Mexico. And, and um, he said, you know, if IQ is affected by just a couple points, you probably wouldn't notice that in an individual. Okay. I'm going somewhere with this. But, but he's like, but if you shift the entire bell curve by a few points, right, you've now kind of doubled your, you know, your outliers at the bottom of that, right? And you have eliminated your genius class. You know what I'm saying? So it's interesting, just like those slight shifts. And so I, I was just thinking about that in terms of like just fitness and health and all those things over the year of the pandemic. Have we, have we tipped some people over, right? Have we pushed some class of people into health ranges that they wouldn't have been in otherwise, right? Have we doubled a danger class? Have we removed habits from people who are building a habit and now that habit is gone, having a really hard time and then following other things? So I'm just, yeah, obviously we're never going to know the answer to these, to these questions, but but I am really curious what the macro view is on, on some of these big changes. I think that we'll, I think we'll know the answer eventually, you know, and I, <clears throat> I'm willing to bet that the answer is yes, we have. And I think we've done the same thing, whether it's fitness, whether it's uh, mental health, whether it's finance, you know, I think the whole thing is, the whole thing is shifted. I mean, it's interesting to, when you look at the headlines and, and earlier on in the year and they say, you know, experts, that's the, that's the best headline on media. Experts are saying, well, I can't wait to read about all those experts. <laughs> but, you know, when you, when, when you say experts are, are warning of cardiovascular events uh, in, you know, after the pandemic and in the new year, well, no shit, right? Like they've, they've all but told us that, that we have to eliminate all the routines and the communities and, and the activities that for the most part, and I, I really praise those that can kill it at home and at home workouts and so on. But it is really interesting to see, um, you know, just that impact, right? Of course, there's going to be more cardiovascular events, right? Which is really unfortunate, but it's because you've taken a lot of these routines away from people that otherwise um, really rely on those uh, platforms to better themselves physically and mentally, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 
So, oh man, there's a lot of things I'd like to talk about here. I'd like to, I'm, I'm curious, maybe I'll, I'll drop some seeds and, and we can kind of pick, you know, where you want to go. But I'm, I'm curious on your perspective of uh, government aid and response for your industry. I'm, I'm also curious about what kind of barriers you see in the way between where you are now and your vision of, of you know, 15 studios or, or whatever the vision is across Canada, what, what blockage or barriers you see in between those two. I also want to talk a little bit about kind of what, you know, pre-pandemic, pre-YYC, YEG, Andrew, some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. These are two very different combos. So Yeah, the lead up. Yeah. Happy to go that way first. Oh, man. Yeah, there's a lot that we can unpack there. I think that as far as the, the government approach of this is, oh, my gosh, that's a good question. I think that uh, I... You know, there's so many layers of this, but I think that as a business, you know, at the beginning, nobody knew what the heck this was. So I think that the response initially was warranted. It was really interesting to see how certain industries were impacted and others weren't. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be happy for the industries that really skyrocketed during the pandemic. You just have to be grateful and happy for those that succeed, right? <laughs> like Peloton? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, at the same point, you look at their stock price, like it skyrocketed at the beginning of, uh, at the middle of COVID and now it's dipping down again. You know, we're all, we're all cheering Amazon. We weren't sure if they were going to make it. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then luckily they got the yeah, boost they yeah. needed. Good for them. You know, it's, it's really interesting because it was, it was a big challenge and thanks to a brilliant business partner of mine and some really good support, we made it through, you know, there was a lot of decisions that we made that could have gone one way or another way. Ultimately, we did get supported by uh, government subsidies and, and what was out there. We did, we were fortunate for the track record that we had of being in business for seven and a half years already. Because I tell you what, there, I don't think it was, there was a lot of equity within, uh, specifically within the fitness industry with studios that weren't over a year old. You know, a lot of those studios that that were just new the the math didn't work on the subsidies that they could get as much as they maybe should have so kudos to those that were scrappy and decided to you know and made it through ultimately we're here right i don't i don't want to dwell on the past so we're grateful that we made it through that being said i was a part of many uh panels with the government and it just seemed like they didn't really have a proper understanding of how our industry operated last summer when we were able to reopen and we were a big part of pushing to be part of phase two instead of phase three where they originally put us but we were open for five months across the last 15 uh at less than 20 percent capacity so really next to nothing and we had thirty-six thousand people come through our our studios and we had zero cases of transmission throughout our studios and so that's a pretty good statistic right as far as kind of our systems and protocols and procedures we also, our, our industry is perfectly set up for contact tracing. We know exactly who's in our studios at the exact same time. We have their email lists. We have their phone numbers, addresses, everything like that. And we have the ability to space out classes that, you know, allows us to kind of keep space between people as well as people come in and they don't touch anybody else's equipment, but their own. So I think there was a lack of understanding and, uh, you know, we were put into a larger bucket as far as fitness. I think it was interesting what happened with the media that kind of vilified fitness, which again is is a little ironic being that it was a uh, health crisis. But I think ultimately we're here. So the subsidies and the support from the government did come out. 
Man, we could dive into a lot of things. You know, ultimately we lost millions of dollars. We added on millions of dollars of debt. Grateful for where we are. Am I hopeful that over the next few years, maybe, you know, it can come out that our industry was, there wasn't a lot of equity with how our industry was treated and shut down like it was. And perhaps some of those loans can be forgiven, knock on wood. You just got to be grateful that we made it to the other side. That's really it. You know, I don't think anybody knew how to do this right. Yeah. So looking forward then, you know, goals, long-term vision, where you guys want to be, you know, what's, what's stopping you? You know, when you, when you look at that, you know, this is where I want to get to, what are the barriers you see between you and that vision? More debt. Uh, (laughs) I think, you know, for, for us, we, we were fortunate to, to get some support through the HASCAP, which is the hardest affected sectors uh, loan that came out. We were fortunate to get some support that, that allowed us to not only make it through this, but maybe, you know, take a couple steps to, to growth. There is still a little bit of anxiety of what's going to happen in the fall. You know, I mean, I, some people have said, if we can make it through Stampede here, then we can make it through anything. <laughs> so uh, we'll see, knock on wood again. But I think that it'll be really indicative into the fall to see what happens. We plan on, we could be full capacity right now, but we plan on taking the summer to kind of gradually increase our classroom sizes just because of the psychological impact. You know, people, there's a lot of people that aren't ready to be in a full 49 person spin room yet. Right. And so we're planning on being full capacity by September. Just kind of make it through the, the rest of this year. And then I think switching that focus to a little bit more of that long term approach. But we are looking at what's out there in the industry. The unfortunate reality is that uh, a very saturated industry, being the fitness industry, got really impacted. And some of those um, places will not make it through. Mm-hmm. That might lend to opportunity to others like, like ours to kind of continue building our vision. So Right, right. But I remember you saying that you, know, you don't want to win because others are failing, right? right. You don't, don't want to win a race because everyone's tripping over themselves. Uh-huh. You, you want to be... Right. You want to, you want to compete. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is that it's, it's really tough to run a race and then have someone running the race, get their knees cut out and you win by default. I'll, I'll say it because I really like the, the interview with Will Smith when they were talking about him, about his work ethic. And he said, see, here's the thing that, about, that I think about competition is that if you and I jump on treadmills to get to where we want to go, and I really believe in this, I really believe in this, there's going to be two things that are happening. Either you're going to get off your treadmill or I'm going to die on mine. Plain and simple. I'm not going to reach over and change your elevation or change your speed or anything like that. I hope that you're as passionate as I am about what, what you do because it's, you know, it's great to be passionate about what you do in life, but jump on the treadmill. And, and that's kind of how I like competition is that, you know, mind your own business, elevate the community as a whole, elevate the purpose of why you're in this industry, but jump on the treadmill and either two things are going to happen. Right. And so, but I'm not going to stop either. Either you're going to get off or I'm going to die on mine, but I'm not going to stop. And if we both go far, great. You know, I think people are more healthy physically and mentally for it. Love it. What do you got? Well, a couple of things I I was thinking about. I mean, you, Andrew, are being very kind in how I think you are referencing the way that government dealt with your industry through all of this. (laughs) You know, I think uh, from an outsider's perspective, you know, it seems like very clearly, like unduly targeted. I mean, there's no takeout for fitness. No. Right. I mean, we talked about that on another, you know, with yeah. Ernie last time. Yeah. 
And so um, I am curious, though, about when we went into this early on, um, I think I felt a lot of the similar stuff early days that you did. You know, obviously, I think we fared better than the fitness industry, so not to compare the two at all. But early on, I said, you know, we are going to somehow come out of this better than we went into it. And your mentality seems to be similar, generally, from like a worldview perspective and 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 overly, I mean, not overly, but typically optimistic. And so I'm just curious, is that what it was early on? And do you actually think like now, even though it's like, yep, there's millions of dollars in debt and yep, we're going to keep pushing and we're going to get through it. You know, you've proven you're going to make it through, but do you actually feel like you're in a position at all where, you know, you are either just where you were when you went into this, it was just pause and now you've got debt or are you actually better positioned in some weird way. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And I think there's a few ways that I can lean into that answer. I mean, you know, the only thing that we're not better off is financially. And and perhaps physically when I talk about myself personally. But it's like I say in my classes, I'm like, there's nobody that made it to this point that can't truly say that they are mentally stronger. That doesn't mean that people aren't going through their own ways of dealing with this trauma or have maybe need 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 support or need to find people to to help them mentally through this but you made it here like jesus like the the andrew today if i told the andrew last march not this past march but you know before the pandemic if i had told that andrew that i that we were going to go through this i really don't know how i would have handled it I think the the fact that we made it through this, um, we we can give ourselves a little bit of kindness to say that we're stronger mentally, regardless of the trauma that we have to deal with or the physical kind of state that we're in. But you know what? I think that other than the the financial standpoint, it was really interesting to go through this as a leader. Um, you know, I I watched uh, a keynote speech by Gary Vaynerchuk and. Uh, someone asked him about culture in the pandemic and he said if you didn't have culture before you're fucked if you had culture before it's going to be better you, it's it's only going to be better going through this pandemic and so we really leaned in it as a leadership group to how we can create that connection and elevate our internal team and even when we couldn't run classes we opened up our studios just for some of our team to go and ride on a bike alone in the rooms just for their mental and physical health and i love that because like you are a community. You're not in the business of spin. You're in the business of community. And so like the very thing that got you to where you were pre-pandemic is what you're saying improved and got better through it. It's really interesting that you talk about that where if you didn't, the, the Gary Vee quote where he said, you know, if you don't have culture before, you're fucked. And I think two examples. One, from a work nicer perspective, I think the only reason that we're around is because this is a community. This is it's not just office space. What we did is, it, you know, similar to you, you'd make a business of bringing people together and that was made largely illegal for 15 or 16 months, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I think that when people have asked us, like, how did WorkNacer do it? How did you make it through? I said, this was, this was just putting, you know, like the proof is in the pudding, mm -hmm. right? It's like we prove that everything that we've been talking about for years wasn't just community like everybody says that their differentiator is. So I want to ask you about that. But then the second one, you know, um, I was meeting with somebody this week, another restaurant owner, and they said that the large, like the biggest struggle they have right now is getting staff to come back mm. 
period. They're like, I, we can't get them back. They won't come back. They won't come back. They want to sit on serve. They won't come back. And then we talked to Ernie, and Ernie said that 76 out of 85 of his staff came back. For reference, Ernie, uh, that's probably five. Oh, yeah, he's a, and he's a great leader. He's a friend, right? of, friend of mine. So yeah. it's like, that's the thing. I think it's the same thing. Like, the reason people may not be coming back is because perhaps they didn't really want to be there in the first place, mm-hmm. right? And so what do you actually think is, is legitimately the thing that makes you different, quote-unquote, or like, what, like what's, what's your proof in the pudding? What's the community? And, and does that make sense when I'm asking? Yeah, I think there's a lot of layers to it. And honestly, I think that, that there's a lot of spin studios out there that, that do it really well too. So I think that it's, it's all in the people, um, you know, from, from us kind of from the start. And it was an, an interesting experience, uh, that we went through with this, but from the start, I mean, we, we wanted to create a, a safe space that people felt like they belonged to. And then we wanted to make that was kind of internally uh, through our staff and everything. And we've got such an amazing leadership that, that really highlights that, but also kind of looking outwardly is, and making an impact on our communities. And so it was really, really tough. We've, we've raised and donated over $830,000 over the last seven and a half years to local community organizations that are voted on by our biker gang. And how those, how those work is that through a few means, we do charity classes that people can book. That's great. That adds to that number. But also every Friday night, we have a giver class and that's simply a half price class. So we reduce the price to that class, half price. People come in, pay for the class. They, they participate in the class. And then at the end of the year, we equate all the number of people that went to those classes. And that gives us kind of a corporate uh, donation amount that we do. And it just so happens that every quarter we let the biker gang decide on where that money goes towards. Now we've never had to kind of face this, but those are corporate donations. And in fact, that's how we have to do it to be able to kind of associate that one class for, for donations. And so what happened is before the pandemic, we were getting ready to give all the donations to all these charities, like our corporate donations and the pandemic hit. And we actually had to send an email to those charities and, and really say like, we really don't know what we're going up against here. And unfortunately, we're going to have to hold off on our corporate donations. First time we ever had to do it. And that weighed really heavy on Grady and I. In fact, we like our company got blown up with it. And I think that was people that didn't understand the, how the mechanics of those corporate donations worked. 99% of those charities understood where we were at and really uh, wished us all the best of luck to make it through this. The fact of the matter is, is that that corporate money we didn't know if we needed to use it to get to the other side to be able to continue doing our philanthropic activities that we do but getting to your point of your question once we knew we could make it out of this we completed all those donations in fact we made a third of the donations right away when we were still shut down then we before we were even reopened but we knew we were going to be reopened we completed those donations to to including the ones that uh, had backlash on us. So really it's like following through with what you say you're going to do and, and not being afraid to say that you fucked up and like that this is really hard and, but also taking it on the chin to say, we don't have an answer and we can't solve this right now, but this is where we are. And this is our promise. And we're going to make good on the promise. And that's what we do. I think that one of the sayings that, that a lot of our team would know for me is expectation is the root of all heartache. Shakespeare wrote that. He's pretty smart. But expectations are essential in any relationship. 
right? As long as both sides understand the expectations. When one side doesn't, it leads to heartache. So to answer your question on, on culture, that's what it is. It may be uncomfortable at times to be faced with the harsh facts of reality, but following through on your promise, even if that takes 13 months to do. See, and I, I absolutely adore that you led with something that so many people would just try to forget. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like that. that is the thing. And that's something or people would... They would downplay it. They wouldn't bring it up. They would sidestep it. You know, it's something, and that's true transparency, vulnerability, culture, because nobody's perfect, right? And I mean, and some people would say when you went through that experience that like you were, you were, it was almost, almost being canceled, right? Well, it was, yeah. Right? Yeah, it, it was, oh man, we had people that said that like, tweeting to different people they were saying that we were frauds they they were calling they were saying that they were calling the police that they were you know and really at the end of the day like the world is a very hot place right now like the temperature of the mm-hmm. world is very hot and so to just try to throw like to try to explain things online is very difficult and we tried and we learned and ultimately it's like listen the fact of the matter is is that we made a commitment to to do these corporate donations and we didn't do it when we said that we were going to do it regardless of pandemic or not and so we needed to sit in that until we followed through with our promise and thankfully we found ourselves on the other side that we could actually do that not only do that but continue to do that out of this we we run uh, you know brand wash we run a lot of ads and um and when you run a lot of ads you deal with a lot of comments i have to remind myself a lot of times that I really like people. <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait a minute. I do like people. I do. I like, do like people. <laughs> hu- like humans. Humans yeah. and human interaction. <clears throat> I really like people. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why humanity loses some of that when they go online. I mean, this is a, this is a philosophical question. I don't sure. know. But yeah, I am, I am really curious. What is it about the human condition that, that makes us such jerks online? You know, and saying things that we would never, ever say to someone's face. I don't think it's us as a whole, though. It's us as a sub, as a loud minority. But yeah, possibly. But you know what? Truth be told, early days of like social media, I would engage with people online and get in, get into yes, little. Yes, you would. I right? Yeah, I'd get into little spats and stuff. I don't do that anymore, right? right? But it's easy to get caught up in it, you know. And and anyway, yeah. I think so, I, I think with that is is uh, the opportunity to take pause. The opportunity to take pause, the opportunity to lean in. I think with us, like right now, when we have something like that happen, uh, the first opportunity is to try to take it offline. So to, and and I think with with the best of intentions, so to acknowledge that person for what they say and invite them for coffee now that we can go for coffee or a Zoom or whatever it is. And honestly, you know, there may be a few of those people that just are online to cause havoc. And then there's actually probably a few of them that could say something or share an opinion that could change your mind, mm-hmm. you know, or add value to what sure. you do. There's, there's a book that I just read called Think Again, and it's a really great book about, you know, not getting sunk into your first opinions. But, but I think with that, it's a lot of, uh, it's validation, right? It's validation and love. And I think when we were disconnected from seeing people face to face, there's a desire to feel validated for what you believe in. And, and some of it is in a really great way. That's great to, to have validation uh, and find the people that believe in the same thing as you. And then also maybe there's that toxic side of validation that you're just out there to, in, in hopes that someone else believes the same in you. 
and then it throws more gasoline on the fire and then it creates something bigger sure. than uh, maybe even those people intended in the beginning. Well, and, and to create some context around this whole thing. So from what I understand, stop me if this is not the case. There were some charities that had the expectation that money was coming to them. Is that right? So yeah, oh yeah. So there, sure. there was some sort of declaration at some point that X amount of money is going to these charities or some yeah. sort of expectation, and it didn't come. And the majority of those people were very gracious, and then and then others just lost their cool. Is that right? And then and then yeah, I mean it was it was it was uh, when you talk yeah yeah. And their supporters came in defense. <laughs> I, I want to be I want to be very supportive of. Uh, how few it was that uh, that had an issue, but uh, which I think is what Gabe is saying, right? And I think it wasn't even just necessarily their supporters, right? It was just people that were unaffiliated with either. Well, and that's that's the other trouble, yes right? Is, no. is is that? Yeah. Yes, of course. It, there's yeah. there was more than just a person or two involved. Sure. Part of the problem is that you know you talk about about you know facts, feelings, and story, right? And um, and and the truth is there's there's really nothing so deceiving as facts out of context right yeah or the stories you tell yourself based on the facts uh, or a limited set of facts Correct. right yeah right and yeah. So, so oftentimes people will get you know things that are true that missing a certain set of context they draw a particular conclusion or they wrap a story around those facts that that given one extra bit of context might actually change their their whole conclusion on that mm -hmm. right but yeah we tend to jump on those a little bit especially online especially when we feel like there's been an injustice somewhere right yeah so true yeah which you can appreciate people's passion right like you can appreciate people's passion for for what they believe in and what they follow and i i don't knock anybody for that no nope. the experience itself was a really interesting one though um of taking that pause and just like taking it <laughs> sure yeah and not trying to convince anybody otherwise and sticking with the facts of like you know what the facts are is that at this point in time we can't follow through on that promise but we will and we did which is i think the most important thing yeah right? and yeah. we're very proud of that it was a long time being stuck in that space and uh, both grady and i and the entire community are very proud that we can say if anybody brings that up, because certainly there's been Google reviews and that kind of stuff that popped up from time to time, and and uh, it it certainly hurts, but at least now we can respond it and say, please feel free to reach out to all those charities and ask them. We've completed all of that, and now we're past this and can move forward, and we're currently raising money right now again. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. just to go back, I mean, I I asked you a little bit about you know what was going on in in the mind of Andrew, and I think that you kind of unintentionally or intentionally <laughs> steered that more towards what was going on in the mind of YEG, YEC, mm. right? Like, like truly, like, I want to know if you're willing to share, because this was also at a time where that wasn't necessarily the only shitty thing going on, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so it's like, what, what is that? Because I think that's something that everybody struggles with at some point, is that it's like, oh, bad things are happening, right? Bad things are going to happen, period. How do you get through that and approach that? And so... Um, yeah, I just want to like truly what was going on in your mind and did you start to believe some of the stuff that was being said? I'm a, I am a optimist by nature and I think that I really do well with environments where people rely on me. And so there was this, you know, how do I show up as best as I can for the people around me and the community around me and, and so on. Like, you know, Grady and I, every single Monday 
write a letter uh, and I write a message on behalf of Grady and I to the whole team. And so when you think of 10 entire months worth of Mondays of writing to your team, <laughs> that, you know, what do you do? You know, certainly you wanted to be positive, but at the same point, there were times that I'm like, this is shitty. And, and I didn't share a lot of experiences that I had, you know, you, you ah, just, again, the reminders of like, the problem isn't the problem, it's your reaction to the problem. And then also being okay, not being okay. And like, there were really times that, that it was really shitty. You know, you, you would imagine and you would see colleagues in the industry that would go bankrupt and so on. Grady and I had our whole life on the line. And when, when people, even at the end, when people would say, ah, I don't know, you know, it's too soon for fitness to be back open. There's, I, I think, you know, I saw something on Instagram that was like, it's, you can be, uh, uh, you know, you can be this and also want that you can be that, but also understand this. Like at the end of the day, I think hopefully everybody just ends up being kinder to themselves because everybody experienced this in their own right. That being said, our reality was was that our industry was being vilified. You know, at times people said, ah, it's too soon for, I don't think studios should be reopened. Well, uh, you know, you look at it in one way and there's many ways to look at it, but you look at it and you say, okay, well, would this person, perhaps they're not an entrepreneur, but would this person be willing to put their house on the line and their whole life savings and bankruptcy, which is, you know, follows you for years and years and years would they be willing to put all of that on the line to stay shut down even longer mind you on the other side we had to understand that we're we really wanted to look after the best for the community because we're community first but i tell you what like it was really shitty sometimes to 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 go down maybe those roads of thinking like what would that be like if i lost absolutely everything and then you start thinking about the 175 people and there's, there was only seven that we, we kept on payroll as far as our leadership and we went into further debt to do so. But that was a commitment from Grady and I that we thought would mean a lot and it did mean a lot for, for those. But then you compound, okay, the, the people that are, have lost their jobs and are waiting to come back to work and what are they going through? And then the thousands of biker gang that we have in both cities that really rely on these platforms for their mental health. And like, it can feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. And, uh, you know, I, I tend to put on a strong face a lot of times and, and I'm one that kind of will run into the fire first, but you know, I remember a, a trip that I was driving with my, my fiance and, and she had mentioned that, you know, her family who are not crazy well off or anything like that, but that, that her family, you know, if I really got it stuck in a position that I needed some help, even financially, that they would be willing to do so. And I, and I just, (laughs) I just literally sobbed in, in the car. Like I just like, and I composed myself for the fact of driving straight. Uh, Honestly, like it just like, it was one of those moments that you were like, this is all inside of me. And I still think it is, you know, like, like I said, the trauma, I don't think I can't speak for Grady and I, but as owners and the responsibility that we have to a lot of people, I don't think I I will deal with this trauma for quite a while. You know, it may be something that, that I seek help with, but you just got to hold on to being grateful to making through this. But to, to answer your question, it was really fucking shitty. Yeah, it's like everybody's going through their own battle. 
and nobody's battle is more important to the person next to them. And we have no idea exactly what battle that is. So there's my answer for that. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, I, and it's, it's amazing to hear you fine, finally dip into that little bit, the story of you breaking down and sobbing and then immediately almost as if you're trying to like catch or correct yourself say but you got to be grateful you got to be grateful right which i think is amazing and that's the attitude that has got you through but i think that's also it sounds like it's a it's a shield in a way it's to hear you talk about that there's trauma that you haven't dealt with and may not for quite some time that is um that's heavy yeah, it's interesting like that, you know, we, you try to practice what you preach and, and, uh, you know, we have an amazing head of studio programming who, who, uh, trains all of our motivators now. And I get to still kind of dip my foot in it, but you know, when you're teaching a spin class, like n no spin class is going to be perfect. You just got to realize that there's a lot of things that can happen when that, when that imperfection or that, that discomfort happens or whatever we automatically turn on ourselves and say what is wrong with me what do people think of me what's the judgment on me and and all these emotions come on and and there's the there's the training that we do of like hey it's okay to feel you just got to feel the way that you feel in fact that's what connects you with other people right but you get to decide how long you stay in that feeling and it doesn't mean that you you can't go back there again in fact you most likely will but every time you go back there if you exercise that, that thought process of like, okay, I, I'm, I want to acknowledge the feelings that I'm feeling. I want to acknowledge whether or not I want to keep feeling this way. And in the moment you may want to, but eventually you might say, I don't want to feel this way anymore. And then finding techniques to not feel that way, even if it's momentarily. And then you go back down into that valley again. Right. So I think to that, like the whole, like, you got to be grateful. You got to be grateful and catch myself as you say is, yeah, I feel those feelings fully, but then I recognize when I don't want to feel that anymore. And then I bring myself back up. Right. And, and, but I'm fully conscious that I'll go back there again. And that's where I think that, you know, when I say that it may, may be hope, uh, helpful, I have so many inspiring people around me, but helpful to find some help. Those people that I talk to that have found, you know, great therapists or psychologists or anything like that. I celebrate those people that that's such a brave thing to do. And I think that there's a lot of tools out there that we may not have to deal with what we're going through that a lot that people are educated in, in uh, providing to us. Right. So maybe there's some tools that I, that are still out there that, that I can discover. Well, and I think you're, you're, the reality is, is that as much as, you know, best summer ever stampedes going, like <laughs> we're not out of this yet. We're still in it. Right. At least as uh, business owners, entrepreneurs, your industry as a whole, I want to ask you this because I think a lot of people have dealt with some, well, whether it's in during a pandemic or not, I think the world of entrepreneurship or owning a business, you know, or not even, I mean, people, we go through things and sometimes when you're in a spot, it can feel like there's just no other option. No, you're alone. You're unique. No one has went through it before. And I think it's really one of those things where, people would benefit because they may not have the same support system around them like you talked about that you do and that's amazing and despite having all that you still have or so you believe like undealt with trauma mm -hmm. right and so 
when you were in that moment and you were actually thinking about losing it all, bankruptcy, like how, how much, like, I mean, even practically speaking, like, did you actually go down a process of that? Like, look at what would that mean? How would the mechanics of that work? What did you do in that moment? How close were you? It's that like, you know, good to great talks about that stock deal paradox, right? And it's like, you know, keeping your eye on the end vision, but facing the harsh facts of reality. So like, it's very important to not be, you know, not be oblivious to the harsh facts of reality of what you're going through. But the more important thing is, is keeping your eyes, eyes on that end vision and just believing that whatever it takes, you're going to make it through that. You know, I grew up with two parents who are entrepreneurs and at one point in time they went through bankruptcy and and I grew up with parents that that when they talk about that they said, well, at the end of the day we had each other so we would make we wouldn't mm-hmm. we we knew we would make it through, we'd rebuild. And that's the philosophy that that I carry through as far as like the problem's not the problem, it's your reaction to the problem. Um it, you know, so it, no, I didn't go down that that wormhole. Uh I attempted to, but again, I caught myself in that sense and saying like, the energy that I'm putting towards this is not helping me mentally. Uh, and it's not helping how I show up in the world for, for the team or my partner or, or my fiance or my family or anything like that. Do you have any, um, do you have any like mentors or coaches that, that you go to that kind of help? Yeah, I've got, I've got plenty of them, but seven of them I have in my, uh, EO entrepreneur organization group. And, and, uh, this group they're, they're like brothers to me. Um, so they, they really saw everything that was going on. So I'm really grateful for that group. Um, and I do have another mentor too. Um, and then, you know, honestly, like my parents are, are great mentors to me. But as far as like groups, I think that EO is a huge platform for me to be open and vulnerable and, and just, just share experiences with, with guys that understand it. Mm, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good tip. And that's actually a big, it's that kind of a thing where you and I over the last year and a bit hadn't connected probably as much as either of us would like. Yeah. And that one conversation and gave one of the things you said that when we were talking about doing this podcast was that we said that everybody has a story to tell and you never know who yours might resonate with. Yeah. It's such a neat reminder of how like that moment, that conversation where, wherever you were at in your journey through this, like that line is this thing that, yeah, you know, for sure. carried through. It's, yeah. um, that's pretty cool to hear. So thanks for sharing that. It's funny. I, I, uh, you know, again, a keynote speaker that I was watching through entrepreneur organization, one of the international events that they had is, is like finding humor in situations, you know, even on a, on a physiological level, what that does to, mm. to your body and your brain, if you can find humor in, in situations, and, uh, there are certainly some that, that you can't <laughs> as much as you can, like finding humor, uh, and that whole thing, like maybe that was a laugh that I needed at that point in time that you're like, Hey, you get no such thing as double bankruptcy. So, you know, <laughs> And maybe that's what not necessarily my, my ears needed to hear, but maybe yeah. that's something that my body and mind needed to feel right. As far as a laugh. I love that because I think it, it, you know, and the reason I brought it up to you and said at that time was because I was going through the same thing. I was really looking at like, is this, what would happen if, if bankruptcy happened? Right. And so, and that was my way of dealing with it. I don't know if that was because it was humor and what you're saying, some people would say that's just deflection and you're not actually dealing with the problem, but I prefer that, uh, 
humor mentally and physically improves yeah. uh, the situation, which is what you said. But, you know, I remember, I remember one guy, this is years ago, but, you know, I'm really stressed about a certain situation and, and just getting, you know, he could tell I'm off, right? He's a friend and he can tell, he can tell I was just off, just getting really stressed. And, uh, he's like, Hey, listen, pause. what he's like, tell me what the worst case scenario really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what yeah. is it? What is it really? And, yeah. and, uh, and I'm like, well, I'll be this, 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 and this. Right. And he's like, and can you deal with that? I'm like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know? And then, and then emotionally you've just, you know, you've thrown that rock off your back and, uh, and you're moving forward. Yeah. You come and come to grips with the worst case scenario is, really therapeutic at times well because we so often focus on on the what if right we, we focus on the exception not the rule right and so that this has been something which has been really healthy for my wife and i because you know she does not come from the same kind of background that i do when it comes to entrepreneurship or risk taking or perceived risk taking or whatever yeah and i think that's the exercise that we've done constantly is like what's the worst case scenario and then okay what if that happens then what's the worst case scenario? And really, and ours always ends up being uh, Danielle and I lose everything when we have to move home with our parents. Which like, like, but uh, I like my parents. Yeah. What's the thing? I kind of want to see them more anyway. <laughs> I was thinking about doing that anyway. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's interesting. Like, I'll add on another layer to that too. That that even an exercise that the that my EO group goes through is you know what is your what is your biggest fear and what is the worst case scenario? And then you ask you ask the person you're talking to. Okay, well. What's the percentage do you think that, that that's going to happen? What's the percentage? Right, right. And you might say uh, 10%. Maybe that's high. Probably Worst high. case scenario, right? But let's say it's even like 15%. Okay, so if you're a betting person or you're an entrepreneur or whatever it is, would you, would you go after something? Like, would you be afraid of 15% downside? Right. You know, an 85% upside? Yeah. That it's not going to happen? Take it every time. And that you take it every time. And so that's that just something to add on to that, that even people listening, it's like you're going through the process and saying, what's the worst case scenario, but not stopping there, right? Think, okay, what's the percentage of that? What's the percentage chance that that's going to happen? You know, and, and just to elaborate on that, like, and no, there is no final situation either, right? Mm, like no. even, even the worst case scenario, I am actually the product of probably at least a handful of worst case scenarios. That <laughs> so, right? so true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That have happened, right? Yeah. Have morphed into something else and, yeah. something, and something new, right? And this is all changing, and that's actually another thing that's been on my mind as well. Like as we're coming out of COVID, it's like, oh, great, we're going back. But the truth is, we're never going back, right? Mm-hmm. We're never going back. Mm-hmm. Back is it's just not possible anymore. The world has changed, you know, this this year. And uh, and what does that mean? Is that bad? Is it is that good? Some people obviously made a lot of money off of COVID, but as as we shift and change, right? Then um, Really, the future belongs to those who can adapt quickest to the future, and and it's changing. Yeah. Well, and I and uh, yeah, I love that, and I I do love Andrew your point of clarification on the the percentage of it happening, because to to some people, right? Like I acknowledge that I'm extremely lucky that my worst case scenario legitimately is moving home with my parents, right? The fact that they have a place and they would welcome me and all that kind of stuff, and so. But I think the the key part to that is, yeah, what is the percentage? Because I do think that regardless of what that worst case scenario is, you know, if you can deal with, if you can actually process the fact that that's probably not going to happen, I think that that is absolutely the bigger lesson versus can I totally deal with it, 
but also there is a tether, right? Those fears tether us, you know, For it, sure. it, you know, it, it gets scary to take certain leaps because you're running that, that calculation, right? I, uh, I want to take smaller jumps because I don't want to hit that rock bottom, right? I've got kids. I've got five kids. Jesus. Right? Yeah. So I've got. <laughs> Andrew's a dog and he can barely handle yeah. it. Yeah. So I've got five kids. And let me tell you, man, like it's just, it just changes the equation. You know, it really, really does. Because, yeah, I've stared, I've stared disaster in the face more times than I would like to count. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that is just the life that entrepreneurs have chosen. We've ventured out into the darkness, into the unknown, and we are staring disaster in the face constantly. But we look beyond that to some bright potential future and, and have some sort of maybe unfounded faith in ourselves that we can plow through certain, you know, disasters and get through it. But, but so far, so good. I mean, so far, it seems like... Um, I think, though, too, similarly is also that we as people need to know that bad things will happen. Like, less than desirable outcomes will occur from things that we do. Yeah. And rather than going through life thinking that nothing bad is supposed to happen, it's like, okay, here's just the next thing to deal with, rather than why do I have to deal with this thing? Right. Right? And I think as soon as... And this one book, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, I think, he says in it, uh, happiness comes from solving problems, right? And it's just like, and never do you feel more victorious or strong or awesome when you get through that challenge or that problem and so when you're in it just in, like trying as much again to like embrace that it's like yeah all i need to do is get through this just like i've got through how many of these before this right it's like you can't have good days without bad days otherwise they're just days what's interesting though is that every action is based on some sort of belief right that mm-hmm. that you that this action can result in my better tomorrow somehow right and so every action is based on based on some kind of belief and so the tricky part is when that struggle maybe it lasts longer maybe Mm -hmm. maybe we thought this was going to be two weeks to you know flatten the curve and then turns you know turns into (laughs) the good old days yeah 18 months and (laughs) that's a metaphor i mean i i think i think there's a lot of times people think you know they they head out on a three-hour tour and, and you know, end up on Gilligan's Island for, you know, five seasons. Um, and just not necessarily sure, like, is there going to be hope at the end, right? I think, right. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's the tricky part is, like, making sure that you're fueling your actions with positive belief, you know, yeah. keep you going, right? I mean, obviously, people who show up at your studio, they believe if I get through this workout, I'm going to be fitter at the end of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or or healthier in some way. Yeah. Physically or mentally, right? Yeah. Yeah. So pre-pandemic, Andrew, I have a photo I want to bring up that I found. <laughs> Don't Google. Is this you? There's a lot of chapters in my life. That's one of the chapters when I was, uh, wow. that's actually lightweight, but that's, uh, yeah. At one point in time, I was a 260 pound football player. So, and that was for the dinos or more than just the dinos. Yeah, I was uh, I played for the Dinos and then went to the Montreal Alouettes for training camp uh, in 2009, and got eaten alive by some just monstrous human beings that also were trying out. So I did not make it through to the team, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great experience. Yeah, was it 
in football all through high school and stuff or yeah, what? Yeah. Yeah. And actually it's interesting, you know, uh, like my best friend getting into high school, just egg who maybe I'll tell him to listen to this, uh, podcast or I will tell him and, uh, and maybe you'll remember this conversation. And so at that point in time, it just wasn't for him football when we started out football. And I said, okay, you know, let's, uh, I'm going to give this a couple more weeks. And if I like it, then uh, maybe I'll keep going. But, it, but if I don't, I'm totally going to not do it like you, best friend. And, uh, which he was a great friend, but I decided to stick through with it. And, uh, it's interesting how that theme follows me because, you know, that whole, like, what's, what's the best that can happen from this? And, uh, uh, you know, what am I really saying no to? And what am I saying yes to? And when I finished playing football, I was 250 pounds and I went, I was going to a bunch of fitness studios or yoga studios. And the owners from the yoga studios were kind of opening up the first spin concepts in Calgary. And they asked me if I wanted to be a, an instructor. And I thought to myself, you know, like the, if I said no, the only thing that I was going to say no to was a new experience. Also maintaining my health because I knew that I, you know, getting out of football and out of athletics, I didn't really have those outlets. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to motivate myself uh, to do that much cardio. And, but when people count on me, I'll be there, you know? And so I said yes to it and uh, look at where it's kind of take me in the, in the community. So yeah, when I first started playing football and I'm kind of making the loop right now with this is that yeah, I'm like, ah, I'll see a couple more weeks. And, and if I don't like it, I'll quit. And I didn't. And then I went on to, to get a scholarship at UFC and had a really great career there and met some guys that I'm still best friends with. And from there, you know, obviously took me into some other athletic en- endeavors, but that whole same thought of like, okay, what's the worst that can happen with this? But, but not only that, but what's the best that can happen with this, right? What am I saying no to? Am I saying no to the version of myself that I know that I want to be, you know, or am I staying comfortable? So, so that football somehow or not like almost directly, almost led to everything you're doing today. Well, that's kind of an interesting, yeah. Football to spin is not necessarily, you know, a (laughs) direct line most people would draw, right? Yeah. I mean, I was 250 pound ex football player, shaved head. I was a unit of a person on a spin bike in a, in at that point in time, an environment that was not conducive to or did not necessarily have my representation um just for those who can't see the photo don't google it we'll link to it in the uh in the notes of the show show notes he's pretty it's pretty beefcake yeah yeah more more beef than cake yeah No, he's... There's like three Gabes in this photo. Easily. <laughs> yeah. Same, easily. Same, <laughs> same amount of hair, though. No, he's got oh, more there. Man. Yeah. Yeah, like legit. Yeah. Yeah. Some people thought I was bald, and then I started growing in, and they're like, what? Anyways. <laughs> anyway, make Rolling sure you minds. do yourself a favor and take a look. Number 96, anything relevant there? No, I liked when you, when you if you if you rotate it, it's still 96, either way. Hmm. Right, so if you get tackled, tossed. So there was a couple times that I got just like, you know just annihilated and when i flip over you could still read my number to know it's me getting <laughs> That's annihilated awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, well and so i wanted to ask about that your we haven't talked a lot about this and i and i don't know if you know well we can or whatever you you are also working on another project called culinary co-working you had an opportunity 
correct me if I'm wrong, to bring on a bunch of money to scale that business. Yep. And didn't. Mm-hmm. And it was by choice. And so I think some of the stuff you talked very specifically about was alignment. And so walk through that where I think a lot of people feel like they have to say yes to opportunities that they maybe shouldn't or know that they shouldn't, or especially when it comes to raising money, that people feel like, well, I've got to take the money because I'm not going to really get it otherwise. And I think you've went through that, which is, um, anyway, love to hear a little bit more about that if you'd be willing to share. Yeah, it's interesting when you say that because, you know, and I think that there's a lot of, there is such thing as scaling too quick. And I think that, that both Grady and I would rather have a great company than a big company. So we could stay exactly where we are as long as we're creating impact and, and growing a great internal culture and external culture and, and so on. So I don't think the goal is to grow. Yes, we want you know 15 studios across Canada in 10 years, which is a nice tagline. But I think that I'd be very happy and same with Grady on, on really staying where we are and, and growing a great company as opposed to a big one. I think there's opportunities across Canada to create environments like ours. And I think there's other spin studios and other fitness environments that are doing that and doing a really great job with it. I think that, uh, you know, I think on the alignment side, I've had, you know, in the past, it it really is like it's 1% vision, 99% alignment. And so really important with partners when you have it, that you have that 1% vision, you have that narrowed vision and you have 99% alignment by the people that surround you, right? And so I think that uh, with taking on money, I've had opportunities in, in, in life t- uh, to go down different paths with people with a lot of money. And, uh, and ultimately, I also knew that I was forever going to be an employee of those people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that they, no matter what kind of percentage equity or anything like that I had, or the 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 uh you know direction that i wanted to take in in certain circumstances i was always going to be an employee i think a lesson there is picking the right partners and i think alignment wise too and even in that situation we kind of turned the tides of of that in fact and not only i had added one investor partner but a, but two of them into into culinary co-working and and part of that was being realistic in in what the business needed Two was to understand the conversations that I hadn't had that I needed to have to get aligned. And three, to really look at kind of what, what impact I can make on that business. And, and, you know, it's the reality is, is that that's something that I couldn't do by myself. Like my, my uh, vision and my heart and soul is with YYC and YG and, and culinary co-working. You know, I think there's a really great opportunity there. We're satisfying a need and growing the Alberta food economy and eventually the Canadian food economy by providing co-working spaces to culinary entrepreneurs and certified commercial kitchens, along with my dad, who's a 35 uh, year plus master chef. So he's really the boots on the ground. And I think it really is about the team that you have and understanding kind of where you can lean in and where you can support. And on that side, it's really the vision and building the culture, but we need the people on the ground, right? I want to hit on something you said that I I think is really profound. Um, and that's, I think naturally, you know, we, we, you start a business, oh, it's it's grow the business, grow the business. People ask me about, yeah, that all the time, probably you do as well. But I, I I really like the idea of just getting laser focused on, you know, what is, what is the goal of this business, right? Is it, is it to grow to a certain endlessly, right? And take over or is it something else? And, uh, I really like that perspective of 
maybe growth is not the key to what I want, you know, or, or what the shareholders want in this. Um, maybe, you know, having a, maybe lifestyle is more important. Maybe, you know, making an impact is more important, but just really kind of deciding, um, we turned down a lot of, we turned, we turned down a lot of clients actually at Brandwash, funny enough, um, because I just, I just, there's a lot of objectives or, or companies we just don't want to work on. It just mm-hmm. doesn't excite me, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, and if it was growth only, then yeah, we take on everyone. I'd throw staff at it and whatever, but yeah, if there's not alignment, if it doesn't get us excited, I, you know, I just, I, yeah. What, what's funny though, is that will lead to growth. I think right. it just might not be like, and, and even in your story, right. You, you had a conversation, um, Andrew about with this potential investor about alignment issues and you fixed it, yeah. but you had to be willing to say no to it, right? In order, and, and who knows if you had said yes in the first place, same check, but could be a wildly different outcome, yeah. right? And so it's like being aligned can, can very much like will lead to that growth. Mm-hmm. And I think, it's, I, I think the visualization that I look at that is, is how sturdy your foundation is. You can grow quickly in many different ways, but then your foundation is not solid. You can't build an organization. Uh, You end up building a house of cards, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I think with that, you know, people take a, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know who was saying it, that you, you know, you overestimate what you can accomplish in five years and you underestimate what you can accomplish in 10. Maybe that was Steve Jobs. But, uh, But it really is true. Like time... We look back and we're seven and a half years later with this business. Like it feels like it was yesterday, but also you look back on how much has happened and how important it has or how important every single step was to that. And I think what that's done for us, and we, we've decided even YYCYG, we've decided not to grow when we could have grown. And that would have killed us if we made some of those decisions at that point in time. But what ends up happening is you look back inward and you grow a stronger foundation, right? So that when that opportunity comes, you actually, you have something to fall back on if yeah. you need to. So I, I, that resonates with me too. It just, yeah, it might feel like it takes a little bit longer, but then you look back and your foundation is rock solid. Mm-hmm. And you're still moving quick, even though in the moment you're like, oh, it's going to go slow. It's yeah. going to take, but you look back like, holy shit, what? Yeah. yeah. Right. Let me yeah. ask you about this. Seven and a half years of the partner, you know, is, uh, I would say that's, perhaps harder than seven and a half years in a marriage. Um, well, we started with three partners. Oh, yeah. So we went so through, you, you know, yeah. yeah. One's, one's at the bottom of the river now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I, honestly, wish, I wish them nothing but the best of luck. Um, but alignment, same thing. Right? Yeah. Like we went, we were three years in business and, you know, the three musketeers and we wanted to take care of the whole world on and you have this, this honeymoon feeling and you're going to take the world on together. And then uh, one decides that it's just not in alignment with them and they want to leave. And, and, you know, that was a surprise to us. And then it was a year and a half process of lawyers and negotiators and that kind of stuff too. And so that was, uh, that was a really challenging time. Uh, but again, you know, one of the things that one of my really great EO formate says is like looking at the challenge and saying like, but can you imagine all the skills you're going to learn on the other side once you get through it? Exactly. (laughs) You know, and having that perspective, I don't think I had that perspective back then. It was pretty challenging, but you're absolutely right. But that like Grady, oh my God, I would, I would take a bullet for him in a second without a doubt, without a second thought, I would take a bullet for him. You know, someone once told me that 
they're like the way that you talk about Grady and your relationship is it's almost like you feel like you owe him. And it sounds like he feels like he owes you. Mm. And I think that that's, that's the perfect relationship. I'm so grateful for it that we're always kind of, there's no doubt. There's no, uh, you know, concern. It's like, we're, we're always, I, I owe him, uh, so much, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it's a great relationship. I'm very lucky for it. And uh, I think at the end of the day, it's it was founded on trust. And yeah, nothing is too small to to have a conversation about. And I think that's why we didn't let anything build. And, and we were kind of forged through that experience of going through a partnership buyout and, and learning from there that that was a horrible experience. So we did, we definitely don't want to have anything lead to another one of those. So you say it was forged on trust, nothing's too small, all that stuff. What does that actually look like? Like day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, you know, like how do you actually do that? And, or, and or, that just, or disputes, right? Like, yeah. like I want to go this way, I want to go this way. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I think that like a tangible takeaway for, for those listening, so funny to say, for those listening. There's like uh, three for sure. And it's us right mm-hmm. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and me, myself and I, yeah. um, you know, like I, I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting when you say that. And I think that ultimately, like when you talk about disputes and that kind of stuff, like Grady and I don't really have disputes. And I think when I look at the relationship ever or anymore, mm, ever now, now to say there's no disputes is different than saying that you've got different visions for the future right or or maybe some different growth ideas or something no or yeah we're different people i mean i think that like when i talk about takeaways is one like you can go on tony robbins website and do a disc profile like a disc assessment which is like a personality assessment which i I hate by the way but 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 what was really no personality test i can't i can't stand them but keep going (laughs) but it gives context to to talk about it right and so it was, uh, you know, Grady and I hired on a coach at one point in time and we did that. It wasn't through Tony Robbins website, but that has a free one. And it just, it, it's so great to understand where Grady and I are and how we operate. And I think that, you know, like I'm on a level that, you know, even going through that, it'll say like, try not to talk too much and give Grady a chance to actually talk. Uh, and I'm like, oh yeah, I do that. I talk way too much. But also the same thing of understanding like our, our disposition for like, I will, I'll go after things a lot quicker than Grady, but, but he balances me out. And I know that like, sometimes I'm excited about an idea and part of my soul wants him to meet me at the level of excitement uh, that I'm at. (laughs) If I don't get that, I used to feel like it was a failure. Like I just needed to keep beating it down what I wanted to do. Cause I wanted him to be excited. But the reality is, is that he is, he's brilliant, um, but takes time to process things. So I know that like, I, I give my best prestige worldwide presentation of what we need to do, but then I give him time to process it. So when he comes back and he, and he has an opinion that might be in a differing way, I know that he's thought about it. So I give him that respect and I say, hmm, okay. And ultimately it's like, if I really truly believe in it, then we might get into a little bit of a a pros and cons list and so on and so forth. But ultimately it's like, nothing is, he's not saying like, let's go burn down the studio. And I'm saying, no, like other than that, like it's not the end of the world. Uh, and we know that we wouldn't make the, the a decision that would destroy what we built. So yeah, we still get into, uh, you know, back and forth and disagreements and that kind of stuff. But ultimately 
what we've created is not worth the pettiness of ego coming into it. Mm-hmm. So tactically, like how do you how do you get there, right? Because it's one thing to say, yeah, we totally trust each other, and and Toby, the founder of Shopify, mm-hmm. you know, he within Shopify they talk about, sorry, they talk about the trust battery. But what do you actually like? How do you actually get to the point where you have that trust? What are the actions that you have to take that Grady, and this can be actually not even just for partners. This can be employees. This can be leaders. This can be whatever. Like, what are the things that actually have to be done on a day-to-day, week-to-week, consistent basis in order for that trust to be built? Yeah, I think you know from just hearing that question. Then what comes to mind is uh, you know I think number one is staying in your lanes. You know, understanding what each other are really good at and trusting them to do it as best as they can. And that means that they're not going to be perfect with it either. Um, and then I think tactically is pulses. So we have pulses, which is our meeting pulse. Like, you know, Grady and I have a weekly pulse. We have a weekly pulse with our leadership. We have a bi-weekly pulse with other people on the team. It's like these touch points, because typically if you don't have an opportunity to sit in front of someone and have a conversation, if you just randomly do it automatically as humans, we think that, oh shit, this is going to be a bad conversation mm-hmm. or I'm in trouble or something's wrong. Office. Exactly. Right. And we're, it's ingrained in us. So to have that pulse then have a structure of it and then also be open to asking the important questions of like, Hey, is there anything that you need from me right now? Or, or where am I lacking? And starting with you, right? Like starting with yourself as opposed to the other person. All right. Why don't you wrap it up this time? Well, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, all right. Well, really appreciate you joining us on, you know, work in progress. Uh, this has been a fun little venue for us to actually just chat with people and hopefully others can be a fly on the wall and maybe get something out of it. But for me, I have absolutely taken some things that I'm going to take back in my own life and just ponder on that. So I really appreciate it. Just open, uh, open discussion on, you know, the, the challenges that we deal with. So Talked about a lot of things. I really appreciate that. And I know for one, I'm at least going to take something out of this and maybe Alex will as well. I hope Not that. me. No, yeah. <laughs> You're like, this is all old news. Yeah. All right. No, um, I always enjoy uh, chatting with you and uh, I don't think we've had this long of a sit down. And I think that this is pretty much exactly how it would go, even if it was just one-on-one without microphones. And so Thanks for being open and transparent. Um, and I do think there's a ton to take away from this. So. Yeah. And for all of our listeners, I really hope that, you know, we, uh, that, that there is something on there that you can actually glean from and take and, and apply your, your life or perhaps look at some of the challenges that you're dealing with right now and take some of this as perspective on how you might uh, deal with it, work through it, um, whatever it is, you know, have some belief on, on what might be on the other end, dealing with partners. I think we hit on a lot of really golden gems today. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you get something out of that. I know that I have. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, if you need a little bit more inspiration, I'm teaching a spin class in about an hour, so you can jump on the bike, but yeah, it was great being here with you guys. And, and, uh, yeah, went deeper than we have in, in other podcasts and so on, but pleasure to be here. Awesome. Cool. Thanks. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Work in Progress podcast hosted by Gabe Kane and Alex Budisi, featuring guest Andrew Obrecht. 
Listen to this podcast and more at worknicer.com. No one succeeds alone.